Hi, this is Beth. Today you'll hear from Danielle. Danielle lost her best friend and mom when her mom suffered a stroke. Danielle began mourning her loss, even though her mom was still physically alive, because the mom that she knew and loved was gone. Danielle is now adjusting to what life looks like without her, especially as she prepares for her upcoming summer wedding. Thanks for listening, and please remember to rate and review the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I'm your host, Beth Gosho. I'm welcoming Danielle here with me today. Danielle, again, is somebody in sunny Florida that I am jealous of. Um, I used to live there and like to live through people vicariously that are still there. Uh, Danielle and I have met online through a mutual friend. Um, Danielle is engaged to the brother of a friend of mine, and we were linked together through Jen. So shout out to Jen. Thank you for connecting us together. And I just want to thank Danielle for being willing to share her story with us. I'm going to turn it over to her and let her introduce herself and to share her story. Yeah, thank you so much, Beth, for having me on and, you know, even creating this safe space for us to, you know, share our stories and heal. This isn't something that I'm used to doing and not something I'm comfortable doing most of the time. Um, But, you know, the words that you've shared over just the last few weeks of me, you know, seeing your daughters without moms page on Facebook and the things that you share and the things others share. And just even the podcast, I just felt like it would be beneficial maybe if not even for anyone else, if for, for me to finally, you know, kind of piece it together for myself, how my grief journey went with my mom as well. Um, you know, I'll, I'll start a little bit by, you know, telling you about who my mom was. Um, for anybody that's interested in uh, astrology, my mom was a cancer. Um, and, you know, we're also really big Christians as well. But she was very loving, nurturing, very typical traits of a cancer. So whatever that means, but she created a safe space for anyone to come to her, um, for her to love them and support them and, you know, even grieve with them, heal with them. She was very comfortable in that setting. You know, I think both of my parents created this you know, loving, nurturing home where we had, you know, a safe space to be ourselves even. And she would guide us in the right direction um, for the most part, but she still let us be ourselves and learn through our own lessons. And she, one of my, one of my most favorite, I guess, qualities of my mom is that she just had endless love for everyone, um, for any anyone a stranger on the street she just instantly she loved them she cared about them she wanted the best for them and that's not something I say that was passed on to me because I am not that person I have a um a limit on my love sometimes I think it's exhausting (laughs) but she she just had this endless love and energy to to take people in so and I'm the oldest of four um there's a 10 year difference between me and the youngest and there's uh, two boys in between and then my younger sister um you know she was 10 at the time my mom died but right now she is uh, 18 about to go to college but even with the four of us in the house and my parents um my dad was a preacher in south georgia where we grew up and she ran the um the children's ministry there and 
children from across the street, from our schools, our friends, um, anywhere in our community would come to our church. But then my mom also welcomed them into our home. And at any given time, we had at least, you know, our family of six plus a couple more, probably at least a minimum of six to 10 people um, at a time. We've got other uh, family members that aren't genetically related to us, but we call them family. Um, they grew up with us. My mom was their second mom to them. Um, she was there to support and love them as her own children too. Um, so she wasn't just my mom. She wasn't even just my siblings, mom. She was everybody's mom. And in some ways she was like that, even for, you know, her mom and her sister and her family members, she was just the matriarch, um, that, you know, loved and cared for all of us. Uh, her dad, her dad actually passed away, uh, at 50. Um, he had a heart attack and he actually passed away a year before I was born and I was the first grandchild of the family. So I was kind of the, uh, welcome back to some, you know, some sort some sort of, you know, joyfulness, um, in life. And so from that moment on, she was always focused on not sweating the small stuff, making sure that, um, you know, we're not getting in these all out family fights that we still love and care about each other above all else. Um, put family first, because you just really don't know how much time that you're going to have left with them. And it's, it's ironic now, um, growing up because at the time you're just like, okay, mom, okay. Uh, I get it. Like people die, like it's okay. And we didn't, we never got to meet him. So we never we never really experienced that loss with her. And we never really understood it either. And then when she passed away, it, it was like, okay, I get, I get, I get what she was saying now, but it's ironic how much she focused on that being, you know, that she was the first one that we all lost. Um, you know, specific to me, my mom was, you know, my best friend. Um, she, she was the person who wanted me to always be my best, but she never, ever forced it. It was just kind of, you know, do your best. I'll still love you no matter what. So she created this stability, this, 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 she was always there to catch me if I, if I fell. So she always allowed me to go above and beyond and do whatever I felt like it was that I needed to do, um, or I wanted to do. And she'd be there to catch me if for some reason it didn't work out. So I, I had this sense of bravery at all times, just because she, she, she was always there to catch me and I wasn't worried about falling or, you know, anything along the way. She was just always my source of wisdom, always my source of strength. Um, that's just who she was. I mean, she pushed me. I mean, now, um, now I'm an attorney. Um, but when I was young, she like, even, like I'm like a toddler, like a two-year-old, she would sit down with me and we would do Sudoku puzzles or, um, logic puzzles or, anything of that sort. So at the time I didn't really, I, I didn't really know. I just liked it. I thought it was intellectually stimulating and we would work through these together and that was our thing. And ironically, those kinds of puzzles are actually on the intro to exam into law school. So somehow, yeah, somehow she, um, she helped me get into law school and she had no idea that that's where I was even going. So, um, when I was, 20. I was in, I was in college at the time. My, we had just gotten back from a family vacation 
uh, college was starting. Um, the boys were in school. My sister was in elementary school. Um, everything was seemed very normal to us. Um, my mom did get headaches a lot, uh, migraines a lot, but we just, I mean, a lot of people get migraines and you just don't know why. So we just never really thought too much about it. Uh, we knew she had high blood pressure. Um, you know, she was a little bit overweight, which was a risk factor, but I never felt like she was obese or anything of that sort that it was like a big concern. Um, her and my brother, uh, used to do, uh, weight watchers together where they would count their calories and that actually ended up working really well from them. So she had lost a lot of weight from that. So we thought surely she's healthy. She's doing fine. Um, but at the end of August in 2012, she ended up having a stroke, a major stroke. Um, and she went into the hospital and she was paralyzed completely on her left side. When you, I, if, for anybody that's interested in the medical side of it, there it's about a stroke is a brain bleed. It's about the size of a dime. Um, well, hers was, it was about the size of a dime on the first one. And it was on her right side of her brain, which impacted the left side of her body. So she was completely paralyzed. She couldn't even, um, just on her left side. So her right arm and her right leg would work fine, but not her left arm, not her left leg. And then she had to relearn how to talk, um, how to control her, her bowel movements, um, you know, even certain thought processes um, she had to regain. And so that took some time. She ended up being in the hospital for about two months. I mean, there was a re rehab facility hospital that she, that was a part of that too, that she was there for. Um, but it was a really, this is where I would say um, my grief journey began. Um, just because, you know, uh, it was easy when, when it first started, uh, because easier to understand because you, you have all this hope. You think, okay, she's going to get better. People have strokes all the time. They're going to get better. They, you know, they recover. She was already regaining like um, you know, certain memories. She was already be, like learned. She already was uh, picking up words again. Um, you know, I had to change her diapers a few times, which is not something that you ever think you're going to do um, as a 20 year old. But, you know, and, and she, she ended up learning how to like recontrol her bowel movements. Um, she was, she was feeling pins and needles in her legs and in her arms. And so you think, okay, she's getting better. She's getting better. She's getting better. Um, you know, and there were times of hope um, where we just thought that it was, you know, we never really thought about her um, dying or, you know, that it being an issue because it was already done. It's not like it would, it, it's not like the stroke gets worse after it happens, but the odds of her having another stroke were much more likely if she didn't recover. And so they told us that, but we never really thought about it um, just because you see these little improvements every day. So you thought, okay, it'll be fine. I'm not even going to entertain the thought of death I'm, or subconsciously, maybe you just don't, you don't even get that far in the process. And so she was in the hospital for those two months and they eventually sent her home. Um, she still couldn't use any part of the left side of her body, uh, but she was going to a facility, a rehab facility. My dad would take her, um, but my dad being the single income earner of our home, my parents also didn't have health insurance at all. Um, you know, a two month hospital stay is not uh, cheap. And 
I don't, I honest, I think in, in, in the end, I think all that got written off. So it didn't matter too much, but, um, you know, it was big stressors at the time for my family and in my, my mom handled all the finances, which she no longer had the ability to do. Um, so my dad had to figure that out. We learned some things that, uh, we were not happy with <laughs> in terms of how the finances were ran, but that's what happens when you, um, you know, when she had all the say-so and she was just trying to keep us afloat and my dad didn't make very much money and um, they decided together that my mom was going to be a stay-at-home mom until my sister was in school. And then at that point, she had went back to college and she had gotten her master's and her specialist in special education because she wanted to work with kids because she loved everybody. And um, so she actually had a job offer that August to start at a school and that would have been like her first like career job and then that's when she got into that's when she had her second stroke so or her first stroke and so then that and that was just kind of that was kind of it for her hopes and dreams but she changed as a person um and and this is why I say that my grief journey starts here um because while we had hope that she would get better, she completely, completely changed. She was just not, she was not the same person. And um, I honestly, I'm thankful because I don't think, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think I could have handled like a dramatic instantaneous loss of my mom. So for me, it was, uh, it was kind of a process of, grief before the grief actually had to be there or had to strike. And so I saw these things of my mom, you know, disappearing. Um, she, she used to, you know, care about everything going in my life. Like, what'd you eat today? What'd you do today? What time did you wake up? When are you going to bed? Are you in bed yet? What are you, who did you talk to today? Are you dating any boys? You know, what's going on? So she was just so nosy. I'm pretty sure she also had like the passwords to every one of my social medias and probably even my iCloud account. I don't know, but she, she knew everything. So I'm, I just assumed that she just had my passwords, but she, um, so I remember, I, I remember I was going through, this is this is when she was home probably a couple months later in like late October early November and I remember telling her about this guy that I was seeing and how it didn't work out and usually she asked so many questions she's so involved she's so there she I mean my mom was a cuddler she would hold me she would tell me I'm loved she would tell me there's more fish in the sea um you know and and in this instance she looked at me like dead pain um I told her the whole story and then she just goes, okay, do you want to watch TV? And that I think was like the hardest part for me because I realized my best friend was gone. Oh, sorry. No, there's no apologizing. No apologizing. But um, so after that, this, I guess, um, this bravery um, that I had, I didn't have anymore. Mm -hmm. And because I knew she wasn't there to catch me. And um, I ended up going into a really dark place and it was really hard for me. And 
I, you know, I started mourning the loss of her and I know, um, some of my other family members, they did the same thing and they realized, you know, she wasn't the same. And even now we, we don't like to remember this time period for any of us because it's just not her. It's not, it's not what we want to remember of her. Um, you know, you know, on top of, you know, not being present in our lives, she was just, she was, she was losing weight, like to the point where she weighed less than me. And at the time I only weighed like 110 and my mom, you know, before probably weighed like 150 or something. And then all of a sudden she weighs less than hundred pounds. And so she, because her mental processes had changed and she wasn't able to, um, process things, um, normally she was just so obsessed with, okay, I'm skinny now. Like, this is a good thing. So that was like the one thing that she focused on. Um, and I think maybe that helped her is that, well, at, at least she goes, and I remember her used to, I remember her saying that, um, you know, when I can walk again, at least I'll be skinny and, you know, things like that. And, um, so it was just, it was just really hard, um, for me. And I started, you know, mourning, and it's one of those things where it was really lonely because um, you lost your best friend. You essentially lost the mom that you had um, and the mom that you knew. But, you know, nobody sees that. Nobody sees, nobody sees your, gr- your grief in that, in that moment either. And because nobody knows, nobody, nobody understands um, unless you tell them, obviously. And maybe that was maybe that was my uh, downfall or my mistake for not sharing or, you know, seeking comfort from friends and other family members. But that, that was the hardest part for me. So it was a very lonely experience, um, grieving alone and, but not understand, but not really knowing why I was grieving because she was still alive. And I felt like I should be thankful for that. Um, So I ended up going, having, I ended up having really, you know, it's a deep depression and, um, some things had happened. And then ultimately I kind of, you know, woke up and realized to myself and, and, and not to diminish anyone's struggle with depression or grief or anything. But for me in that moment, what I needed to do was I needed to heal. And the best way for me to heal was to realize that what I was going through was selfish for me because my, I had three younger siblings at home. I had, you know, my dad crumbling, trying to figure out how to take care of my mom, do the bills and still have a full-time job and get my kids to school, figure out how to brush my sister's long brown hair, um, get it detangled. You know, it was just a lot, um, for him. And it was a lot for, you know, our other family members who were further away. And I went, I was frozen essentially because, you know, I felt this obligation, like I should be helping them. I should be, I should be doing this, but at the same time, I didn't want to, I was 20. I was in college. I, I, I didn't know how to be that nurturing, loving person that my mom always was. I just knew how to receive it from her and, um, and, and, and share that with her in a way that I knew how, but I didn't know how to take care of her. I didn't, I didn't really want to, but I felt obligated to at the same time. And that was something that I had to go through and I had to realize that, you know, eventually it's not about me. (laughs) It's not about what I want, that she needs me and he needs me, my dad and my siblings. And so, I mean, it took me a while to get there. Um, 
but eventually, you know, I started coming around a little bit more. Um, I was only, I was only like an hour and a half away from them. And so I would start coming home on weekends, um, and different things and trying to build that relationship. But ultimately she passed away probably about nine months after her first stroke. So we were, um, we were in at home and, um, we were from Moultrie, Georgia and my brother, uh, just graduated and he was going to come to college and he was going to live with me, which is something I was happy about because I hated my roommates and I hated having roommates in general. And so I was glad he was going to come, come and live there. And so we were all excited and it was an exciting time for all of us. Um, my mom was there, um, in her wheelchair and my, and she was able to see everybody, all the family was there. Um, so as far as deaths go, we say that this was perfect timing. Um, and by we, I mean me, I can't really speak for my family members, but for the most part, I feel like it was, uh, perfect timing just because there was, she did have that final chance to see everybody and, um, spend time with everyone. Um, and everyone happened to just be there, um, the week that she died, but she, I think it was Memorial day, um, you know, at the time I was, uh, I, I started dating someone and, um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't the right guy for me. He wasn't the best guy for me. I honestly, looking back, um, I don't know why I dated him except for the fact that I needed him in this moment. Um, but he was there with us that weekend. And I went back to Valdosta like an hour, hour and a half away. And I remember like we had gotten home after seeing everyone the next day, we were going to go back and we were going to have a cookout and have a Memorial day, you know, barbecue and just hang out with the family one last time before everybody went home and Memorial day morning. Um, I woke up and I had like 20 something missed calls. Um, and, and I will say too, and, and this, this actually happened the night before I, I remember getting home and, and, and throughout this whole nine months, I was very angry with my mom because I felt, I partially felt like you didn't try enough. You didn't try. You're not trying at your rehab. You're not doing enough. Don't you see what we're all doing for you? Don't you see the toll it's taking on us? Like, you, can you please, you know, at least put a little bit more effort in? Can you, you know, so, and I don't, and I, and honestly, we never really got to that conversation. So I don't know if she did feel like she was giving her all or not, but I was just very angry with her. I was very annoyed a lot of times. Um, and I remember, uh, hearing my uncle, my uncle has, um, a podcast for his nonprofit foundation, um, for drug and alcohol awareness. And he, he was talking on there about grieving and death. And one of the things he said is, you know, thank God my daughters, you know, nothing happened to me or my kids or my wife, um, while my daughters were teenagers, because, you know, you would live with so much regret because teenagers just in general are just not nice people. And um, we're, you know, get moody and you say things you regret and you have this sense of entitlement and you 
you know nothing about the world. And while I wasn't technically a teenager anymore, I was still in that mindset. And so I've, I've, I don't hold that so much against myself anymore because I just realized, like, I know, um, she wouldn't want me to hold that against myself either. Um, you know, the moments I was annoyed with her or angry with her, the things that I might've said out of frustration, but I know some other people in my family, um, they take it really difficult, um, difficultly, like it just, uh, I guess just the things that they said and things that they've done to her that they didn't feel like they had closure that they had that relationship where it came full circle and they were all on good terms. Um, so I think that's hard for some other people in my family, but I couldn't, I can never really dwell on that very much. And I had to forgive myself um, for that. And I feel like she's forgiven, you know, us for that too. Or honestly, she probably didn't even think about it as a thing. She just understood that that's just who people are. That's who kids are. Um, you know, that's what people do when they're stressed or sad or angry or frustrated. So the night before um, Memorial Day, I was back at my apartment. I was watching a movie um, with my boyfriend. We were uh, just sitting on the couch and I saw her call me. And so I decided not to answer because I didn't want to, I, I just, I knew she was just calling to chat. We were watching a movie. I was like, okay, well, I'll see her tomorrow. Why, you know, she was, she, I went, she wasn't overbearing, but she was just very hands-on. Like she just wanted, she just wanted to know that she was there all the time. And, you know, and I, and that was one of my favorite things about her, but she texts, I text, I ended up texting her and telling her, we're watching a movie. I'll, I'll see you later or I'll see you tomorrow. And like one of the last things she said was, okay, I love you. Good night. And for some reason, and I always, I always said, I love you, but for some reason I didn't that night. And I don't know why. Um, I just said, okay, night. And I don't know if I was just annoyed she was calling me in the moment or if I was just annoyed with her in general or if I was still angry with her. I still don't really know why. Cause even to this day, I mean, even before that, I've always said it, even if I was frustrated, cause I, cause I know there's never um, a promise of tomorrow, but for some reason I did not say that. And, you know, th that's one of those things I just have to, I have to let go because she knows that I loved her and I know that she loved me. Um, but she ended up having her second stroke that night. Um, I'm not really sure on the details because I wasn't there, but uh, from what I remember, it was sometime late in the um, morning, 3 a.m. or something. And I think my brother found her and she had fallen over um, or something had happened and, or she was asking for help. And so the ambulance came and picked her up, but she slowly started losing um, motor functions and in, in all sides of her body. Now she still didn't have any motor functions in her left side. Um, but when she got to the hospital from this is this is the story that I've heard um, and what I've seen and she got to the hospital and she start slowly started losing um, different functions like I think the first one to go was she was her inability to speak. So she wasn't able to speak anymore. So they got out. Um, I think my grandma, her mom was there. They got out a little notepad and a pen. So then she was writing it on, writing on there. And she wrote to my brother, um, you know, you saved me again um, because he found her. And then um, she was writing, uh, you know, the one of the last things she wrote was Danielle question mark. I think, you know, wondering where I was, if they told, if they had told me, 
Um, and I was, you know, sound asleep in my bed. <laughs> and so uh, I woke up the next morning to all those missed phone calls. And she was already unconscious um, at that point. She had already lost uh, her sight and then she lost her ability to move the right side of her body. And she was essentially just unconscious. So first thing um, that morning we went over there and we were in the hospital and, you know, medical rules, you can't, you can't say anything until the doctor says anything. Even though if you looked at the CT scan, you could see her first stroke was the size of a dime, but her second was the size of like my hand. And so we knew like, once we saw that we knew it wasn't good. Um, but we had to wait for the doctor and they honestly, I don't even think they let us see that CT scan until like the second day. So, you know, we thought it was kind of going to be like the first one. And I, with that she would recover and it was just another thing and so people started you know had to go home because it was like a work day or, or they were working or they had flights or whatever so people had to leave and so they weren't sure what to do and then no one told us and ended up like we found out I think on Wednesday that she it just she wasn't going to live um so that whole entire period we were in the hospital no one knew what was really going on and you know, I slept on the chairs. Uh, my boyfriend at the time, he would sleep in the hospital with me. He never complained about anything. He was really just my rock at that time. Um, my sister was there. I think at the time she was 10. She was 10 when it happened and I had just turned 21. We had the biggest and most supportive community, um, you know, around us that I think that we could have had ever. Um, and that's something that maybe I'm always looking for, for my future, for me, for my kids, for my family is to always just have that community for when something like this happens. Um, our church community at the time was um, very involved in our lives and they were very supportive. Um, so they were always at the hospital with us um, and, and, and doing anything that they can. And I remember um, when she went into hospice, I think probably um, that Thursday, and then she ended up dying on Saturday, but it was such a, um, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's one of those moments that if I could, in a morbid way, I would go back to. Um, just because the love and the support of not only like my mom, but all of us there was like unreal. We had probably 25 people in the room when she passed away. We were all there holding hands, you know, hugging. And it was, it was, it was a moment that we all shared together and it was all of our closure um, together um, and, and seeing her, uh, you know, take her final breaths. And it was, it was a unique situation at the time because some of my family that, um, that some of my, my brothers and sisters that aren't necessarily related to us, um, were out of town on work and they were unable to get back in town to see her and to say their goodbyes. And she waited until the moment that they got there, they had gotten there probably about 30 minutes before and she was just holding on waiting and and that was really special for us for them to be able to say goodbye to her too because she wasn't like I said before she wasn't just my mom um so that was uh something that I'll always remember um just those moments and it, it was really 
her last week of her life was very hard um, on, on, on me too. Um, I, I can't say, you know, how everybody else took it or how everyone else handled it. Um, I will say me and my aunt were a little bit at odds over the uh, medical uh, terminology or the medical processes of what happens in a stroke. Because I remember my aunt found comfort in talking to her and that she could hear my aunt speaking to her, her sister, she could hear what she was saying. She, she, she felt like she just constantly had to talk to her how to do this. And for me, I was the opposite of like, I hope she's not here for this. I hope she's not, you know, able to hear us all talk about the fact that she's passing away. I hope she just doesn't know and that it's just very peaceful and that she just falls asleep and she goes to heaven. And it, and that was really hard for me because you, there's not enough um, science on it to really know um, whether she was able to hear anything just because she had lost all of her motor functions. It's possible um, that maybe her hearing just didn't go. Um, but that, that, that was something that I, I couldn't deal with very well because I remember even then I tried to, I tried to think, okay, if she can hear me, I should talk to her or I should uh, sing to her or something. And I remember when she was in hospice, I was singing to her and tears started like going down her face. And that was really hard for me because I thought, wow, like, can she hear me? Like, I, I, it was, and then I was like, well, what if, what if her back itches or what if her leg itches or she can't communicate that to me? And it it was just, it, the whole thing was just very, um, it was very hard, but in the end, um, you know, I'm glad that I had the time that I had with her. Um, I can't say that for my other siblings which is hard because, um, you know, my sister was only 10 at the time. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, the first stroke of my mom was completely different. She was, she was still alive and she was there for my sister and she was able to have conversations and she was able to show love and care for her. And so they had a much different relationship than I did because I grew up with her my whole life. And she, you know, I went through the moody teenage years. And, you know, when I was my sister's age, you know, when I was 10, I remember looking at my parents and thinking, you know, there's nothing you guys can do that I won't won't love you or that I'll be embarrassed of you or, you know, it, you know, that. I don't care what kind of car or house we have, or, you know, what, I don't care about those things. I don't care what kind of clothes I have. I'm just so glad that I have you guys as parents. And so, you know, I, and it's funny because someone had actually said to me, Oh, one day you'll be embarrassed of your parents because you'll be a teenager. And I just thought, no way, no way. Mm -hmm. And then I became a teenager and I realized that was true, (laughs) but, uh, but my sister, I actually, uh, after, after my mom died, I, it was one of those things where I had to kind of pick up the pieces myself. Um, one, of, one of the things that drew me to what, one, to one of your posts um, that drew me to you was when you said um, a mom-shaped hole in your heart. And, and that is so true because I 
there's no way that someone can replace that relationship that you have with your mom. Um, and it's always, <laughs> it's always going to be there. Um, it's just a matter of being able to handle life without her and alter your life um, to something um, that you have to do without her. And that was the hardest part for me. My dad, my, my siblings um, was just trying, was just the next step is what does life look like without her? And I ended up going to, um, to law school shortly after about a year later. Um, and cause I, you know, I, I knew I needed stability as my mom was my stabilizer. Um, and then I knew that I no longer had that and stability looked like financial stability to me. Um, so that's something that I always sought after. Um, and, and also in my relationships, I always sought after in my relationships was, is, is this stable? I can't handle, you know, this fighting back and forth. Are you cheating on me? Are you not? That's something um, that even led me to my fiance now, but I ended up going to law school just so I could have, you know, general stability in the future. And, uh, you know, at the same time I had to leave my family and that was really hard, um, to leave my siblings and my sister and with my dad and my dad's still trying to figure out life without my mom. And, you know, it got really hard for him because he just honestly couldn't cut it, um, on his own yet. And he didn't know how to be without her and how to live without her and how to make decisions and move on with life. And he ended up um, not being a preacher anymore. And he fell on hard times. But then my sister was just starting high school and, you know, he didn't know how to deal with uh you know, women problems and how to handle that situation. So I was creating like emergency care packages and like shipping it to their house. And like, this is what, here's a note card of this is what you need to do. This is what you buy at the store. And, you know, it was hard from a distance, but I knew that I was doing it for them in the future. And so my dad and I had talked about for several years, like just trying to make it through until I had the stability that we needed for me to move them down with me. And so after a couple of years, I am um, in law school. And then after passing the bar, well, they ultimately moved down here um, to live with me and my sister and my dad live with me now and um, my fiance. And she's going to college next month. And then my dad is going to try his hand at living on his own again. And so that whole process, um, you know, I've had to do a different type of healing um, and a different type of grieving of my mom because it's things that I didn't necessarily understand um, as a female or as a woman um, or even as a mom yet, what, what being a mom looks like or, um, or, you know, having that loving, nurturing side to you. And so I had to learn that with my sister living with us and being so young and being without a mom. And, you know, I always just try to give her what I could give her. Um, and I know nothing will replace, you know, my mom, but I just wanted her to have as much of a normal life as she could, despite everything that she's been through. 
And I always, you know, try to think of my mom and think of, you know, how, how would my mom handle this or how would she, you know, help here. And so it's a whole nother level of appreciation and understanding of who my mom was. Um, so it's, it was a different process in dealing with that. And even now my whole entire life looks different from what, what it was when my mom died. And I was talking to someone who lost their mom, uh, just, you know, two years ago and they still live in the same house. They still, um, drive the same car. They still, they have the same kid. They, you know, everything in their life is the same. So every day their life looks like their mom is missing. Whereas where my life is so entirely different that I don't, necessarily on a daily basis see where my mom is missing in my life anymore and 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 as hard as that is to to realize um but at the same time now I'm missing her in the big moments I'm getting married she's not going to be there um one of the things that she always 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 wanted was grandkids and after her first stroke, she was trying to get me to have like a kid stat. She's like, all right, I don't care who the guy is, just have a kid. I'm like, okay, that's not, that's not happening, mom. But, you know, and that's just one of, uh, one of her things. Um, she just loved kids. And now, you know, we've got a grandchild on the way in our family, not for me, for my brother. <laughs> and so it's, it's these big moments that she's not a part of anymore, um, where we realize that she's missing. And then you know, I even dread the fact of being a mom without her because I just always thought I would grow up and I would just call her and she'd tell me what to do and how to do it and what I would need to do and what I would need to buy. And now there's just so many options and I don't know. And it's just hard because it's just the, it, it's those moments that you realize like, this is where she was supposed to be. This is where I'm starting to see that in my life more um, where my mom is missing. I think one of the best, one of my favorite quotes that I've seen is a quote, uh, actually came out of the movie, uh, 50 shades of gray, but the, the, the daughter was going through a breakup and the mom was trying to comfort the daughter and the daughter was like, well, this is hard. How are we going to deal with this? And she said, the mom said, it doesn't get easier you just get to know yourself better. And I think that hit home for me in a lot of ways, because like we said before, I mean, a mom shaped hole, it doesn't go away. It's always there. Um, you're always going to be grieving. You're always going to miss them. You're always going to love them. Um, it doesn't get easier because it just, it just doesn't. Um, cause there, you always see that this part of your life where they're missing, um, but it's more about knowing yourself better, being able to go through your grief process and pay your respects to her in the way that you can and remember her in the way that you can. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm at now. And we have people in our family that can't even say my mom's name <laughs> still. So it's, wow. it's hard because I, I like to talk to talk about her. I like to talk about her memories. I like to watch old videos. I like to look at pictures. I like to do those things. And, and then with other people in our family, it's like walking on eggshells. Like, let's not, you know, let's not upset them because they don't even want to say her name. And it's just very different for, for everyone um, and going through that process. And so I think it's more about just learning who you are, how you grieve, 
and what you're comfortable with um, in your grieving process. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, one of the things like when you started out and you started telling me about all the things that your mom did for you while you were growing up, um, I just participated in a, a program that our school district put out about teaching kids how to establish resilience. It, it was about anxiety and depression during the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they did this whole handout about the seven C's of resiliency. And I think your that was the gift that your mom left you. She taught you it's like coping skills, contribution, confidence, competence, connections, like all the a lot of the things that you said um, about that you knew she was there for you if you were going to fall and that she loved you no matter what. Like that's 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 a great foundation to have um, for you as a person. So it really hit me that I was like, wow, her mom like fulfilled that whole resiliency uh, document that I just looked at. Um, yeah, like that's that's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah, and and, and that's every part of who I am is, is mostly due to my mom. I mean, my dad, my dad was there. He was a parent, he was loving, he was supportive, um, but he didn't really play a guiding hand in how I turned out. Um, I think that was pretty much 100% my mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, she stayed at home with us. She, you know, taught us the skills that we needed to live, how to be a, a good person um, in general and how to deal with, you know, our weaknesses, how to, um, conquer um our fears and how to you know enhance our strengths and you know she did that for us and, and and honestly it takes someone who genuinely loves you and can see that in you and encourages you to be that person so that's then that's why I say that I was so lucky to have as much time with her as I did because I only hope you know my sister and my brothers um they feel the same way that I do and had that same experience as well I mean, that's impressive. That's something that's, um, you know, um, will serve you for the rest of your, for the rest of your life. And I think you're already displaying qualities of how it is serving you. Um, another thing I noticed when you talked about that you were mourning her already when she was still here, you almost had like a reversal, like you were experiencing the secondary loss mm -hmm. of losing your best friend, like not, not only your mom, but this mm -hmm. woman that had provided this safe and nurturing and uh, stable environment for you. But you were experiencing the secondary loss before the primary loss had even happened yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's- Yeah, and I, and I, I never really thought about it until, uh, until recently and, you know, just listening to your podcast and, and I was thinking, well, what is my grief story? And like, where did my grief start? And, you know, why did this happen? Or why did I feel this way then? And it, it kind of took some deep diving to realize, you know, this is probably why I felt this way. Um, but it, it, you know, I, while it was a secondary loss before the primary loss, I still, I still think it was a, um, almost, almost like God knew that we needed that because I mean, it was, it was kind of a, um, an ease into her death as opposed to just, Hey, one day you don't have a mom and there's just no way, there's just no way I would have been able, I mean, it's, it was hard enough as it is. Um, and I tend to, I tend not to be as much of an emotional person, um, on a day-to-day -day basis, but I mean, 
losing someone like death is probably the hardest thing that you ever have to go through in life and it's scary knowing that that's you know that's my first experience with it and you know now I'm 28 and I haven't I lost you know an aunt I've lost a grandpa but I haven't lost anybody in my home um yet and so I it is scary knowing that that is something that is going to happen again in the future um but as far as my mom goes I mean I I in a weird way um I feel like it happened the best way that it could mm-hmm. yeah wow that's a pretty strong of you to be able to you know look at that and recognize that and to be able to communicate it. I think that's pretty big. You know, your whole entire life changes from this one person in your life um, not being there anymore. Um, and like, most importantly, your mom, because for me, she was, she was my number one, you know. You've done a lot of, you've done a lot of soul searching and a lot of processing um, in, in hopes of helping everybody else, but you also need to take care of you too. Yeah. So. And I hope that there's other women that come into your life along the way. Um, Like you said, nobody would ever replace your mom, but there'll be people who will Mm -hmm. offer love to you and support to you. Um, And I hope that that you're able to receive that and see that because that's, that was the one thing, um, you know, my mom's been gone for 37 years that I can look back and I think it hits you more after you become a mom too. But I look back and really thankful for some strong women who were, a part of my life along the way. And I'm sure you'll have that too. sounds like you kind of already do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I sought that out almost immediately. I was like, okay, well, if my mom isn't going to be here, then I need someone else to, you know, tell me how to live my life because I don't know how to do it. So I, I, you know, I saw, I did my aunt, especially, I always call her my second mom because she's always there. Um, she always answers the phone when I call. She's always there to give advice. She's always there um, to just, you know, listen and support and love on us too. And so, and everybody in our family really. Um, and then also, you know, we had amazing, amazing, you know, church family um, and extended family and people who offered um, that same, you know, support and love to us even, even now. And so those people were very key in my life. Um, because they allowed us to go through um, the grieving process, but they were also supportive and they also like took charge of things that we didn't need to take charge of. I remember one of my, um, one of my aunts, she, she's technically not an aunt, but she's like my dad's best friend's wife. But I remember when she was there uh, for my mom's funeral that week of her funeral and she her and my mom were also very close, um, but she just took charge. She was like, are you fed? You know, these people need to be fed. I need to make sure everybody gets to, you know, the funeral home or to the church or everybody's dressed. Everybody is, is okay. Are you crying? What's wrong? Like she, I just remember her being there and thinking like, wow, like, I am so glad she is here. And she, and she actually ended up, which is sad, but she actually ended up passing away two weeks after that. So that was like our last moments with her too. But it was just one of, it was one of those things where you look around at the people around you and you're thinking like, I am so glad I am not alone in this mm-hmm. and, and that these people care enough about us to be here for us. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a phenomenal support system. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how little things like, you know, making sure you have a suit that the jacket still fits and, mm-hmm. you know, food that you don't have to worry about. So you feel nourished and there's comfort in that. Um, oh, absolutely. Those, yeah, yeah. When I had, when my, uh, I remember when my car battery broke down and I don't even know who it was. I think it was just a friend of a friend. Like they didn't even know me. Um, I ended up having to get a ride to the hospital that week. My mom died and so, and I had to leave my car two hours away and someone just came and replaced my battery for me. And it was just, mm-hmm. the, it's just the small things like that for me that I recognize it wasn't so much, you know, the platitudes or even the words of comfort that necessarily helped because, you know, everybody means well for the most part. Um, it was for me, it was like seeing these people like genuinely going out of their way to support us and do anything that they could for us um, during our hard time. And, and, and that's always what meant the most for me. And even now it's like, I will never forget those people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, I usually try to finish with some sort of, you know, advice or quote or something like that. I know you gave the quote is at, at the end of when you were sharing. Is that what your piece of advice is? Yeah, I mean, I that quote, I it, I actually came upon it later in life. I don't even I don't even like the Fifty Shades of Grey series. <laughs> I was watching it with my roommates one day, but I saw it uh, when I was in law school, and I was like, wow, that is so true because you know, when I was actually grieving my mom in college, when I was, you know, I sat down and I pulled out every photo I could find and every video I could find. And I just teared myself through it. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep crying until I can look at her picture and still function as a person. And so that was how my grief process looked like, but I knew that I had to go through that to get to a place where I could be okay looking at photos of her and talking about her and seeing videos of her. Um, So I think that's one of the most important things is that it doesn't get easier, but you do have to get to know yourself better and how you grieve and what that looks like for you. And it, and it's really specific to you. It's only, it's only yours. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. why, you know, my whole thing is it's your grief journey because everyone's is different and unique. Um, And so all we can do is, you know, share our stories and help and support and offer, you know, what has worked for us. And I think that that's just part of what this, you know, we're not, nobody asked to be a part of this club, but here we are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the best thing that we can do is just find ways to, to share and support each other. However, that, you know, that one little thing that clicks, um, like you said, the the mom size hole, you know, Mm -hmm. the one little thing that clicks, it makes somebody go, okay, I'm not alone. You know, somebody understands what I'm going through. So I really, really appreciate you being here, your honesty and your vulnerability. I know this wasn't easy for you. Um, And so I'm really thankful that you were willing to share it with us and appreciate you sharing your story today. Yes, thank you so much. I mean, even, even just hearing everyone else's story, I thought, wow, I mean, these people are so in touch with their grief. <laughs> I'm like, where am I? What am I doing? And so I really appreciate you letting me be a part of this process as well. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com.
If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.